You are listening to Arrive by The Cycling Podcast, supported by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. That was the crowd cheering as Elisa Longo Borghini of Trek Segafredo entered the Roubaix Velodrome here a little bit earlier this afternoon. And then she was announced to the crowd of the winner of the second edition of the race. My name's Lionel Burney, and I'm joined by Lizzie Banks for this episode of Arrive by the Cycling Podcast. Hello, Lizzie. Hello, Lionel. Hello. Well, the sun is shining. It's glorious here in Roubaix in northeastern France, and I'm sitting in the grandstand, which overlooks the finish line in the André Petrio Velodrome, the finish of Paris-Roubaix, of course, and we've watched Paris-Roubaix fam this afternoon. And it's been a bittersweet day for me, really. It's been great to be back at a bike race, but of course tinged with sadness because the last time I was here, I was here with Richard Moore, who has passed away recently, and it was October last year, wasn't it? Paris-Roubaix held in the autumn, and we came over and we covered the races, and we had a fantastic weekend, and it still feels completely unreal that he's not here to be with me and to share his thoughts on the racing, and he would have absolutely loved today's racing, and of course... Richard's hand will always be there and evident in everything we do on the Cycling Podcast. And over the last few days, Daniel and I have been talking about how to return um, to podcasting action, I suppose. And it just felt right for Arrive. I'd actually booked my travel to come over to Paris-Roubaix to spend the weekend with Richard. And I felt that I could come over and watch the racing. And Arrive just gives us a chance to talk about cycling, which, after all, is what Richard loved to do. So we are continuing here with a few episodes of Arrive, and uh, all being well, we will be then setting off for the Giro d'Italia, Daniel and I, in early May. But Lizzie, it's been an absolutely fantastic race this afternoon, very, very different to last year's October Paris-Roubaix with the murky weather and the wet cobblestones today warm dry and dusty I mean warm it's it's sort of mid-20s it feels like anyway it's been a completely different race and for only the second edition of this race you know we can't really say that we have had a blueprint of it because how can you compare a wet October well it wasn't really a wet October day but it had been filthy weather for the previous few weeks the cobbles were covered in mud compared to this glorious day that we've had today um, and not only that, we were missing the victor from last year, Lizzie Dagnan, who is away on maternity leave, and the second place rider last year, Mariana, Mariana Voss, the indomitable Mariana Voss, who was due to be on the start line, unfortunately tested positive for COVID this morning, and so had to withdraw from the race. 
But having said that, we've had a phenomenal edition. It's been hectic from the moment the coverage turned on. One second in, we had a, a crash just before the first sector. Um, and it's just been attack after attack and groups going and coming back together. You never really knew what was going to happen in the race, how it was going to pan out, even until, I'd say, until 10k to go. It was really quite uncertain what was going to happen. So phenomenal, phenomenal day and just magnificent victory by Trek Segafredo and Elisa Longo-Borghini. Indeed. Well, uh, traditionally, we start our race coverage with the tale of the Etap or uh, the tale of the Tapper when we're at the Giro d'Italia. And when we debuted Arrivé with Milan Sanremo last month, we didn't quite know what to call this kind of um, headlines wrapping up what happened in the race. And listeners suggested several alternatives, but we've decided to go with moments of the mon monument. I couldn't even say it there. Moments of the monument. And I suppose I'll just go through the headlines of what happened today. As you say, Lizzie, Mariana Voss ruled out this morning with COVID. That completely changed Jumbo Visma's day. And Trek Segafredo really proving that they've got Paris-Roubaix dialed in. They were first and third last year with Daignan and Longo Borghini on the podium and first and third again today. Longo Borghini winning and Lucinda Brand third. And really, they didn't put a foot wrong except for the disqualification of the world champion, Elisa Balsamo, who, well, she punctured and then was chasing back on, nearly lost it when she hit a pothole uh, on a section of cobbles um, and then was spotted holding on to what must have been a very sticky car door for a bit too long and was disqualified, the world champion, out of the race. And that, of course, um, probably simplified Trek Segafredo's tactics. We'll talk about that a little bit. Before that, of course, there was the early break. And this year, the five riders in that early break, Tanya Erath of your team, Lizzie, EF Education Tibco, Leonie Boss of Park Hotel Valkenburg, Amelie Lutro of Uno X, Gaia Massetti of AG Insurance and Katie Klaus of Human Powered Health. They were reeled back in. And as you say, once the cobbles started, the action really um, heated up. There was a crash with about 71 kilometres to go. Emma Norsgaard of Movistar, Elise Shabby and Alice Barnes of Canyon Sram were both in, uh, involved in that one. Chloe Hosking of Trek also crashed. There was a puncture for Ellen Van Dyke of Trek and she had a long chase to get back on. Then, of course, there was the, the Balsamo incident. And by that stage, there were three pretty handy-looking riders up the road. Lucinda Brand of Trek, Lotta Capecchi, the Belgian champion of SD Works, and Marta Bastianelli of UAE. And they were away for a long while, really, over, what was it, 20 kilometres, uh, brought back in. And as that escape was captured, Longo Borghini picked her moment and initially, reaction came from Norsgaard and Elena Cecchini of SD Works, but neither of them could stay with Longo Borghini. And she pressed on, built a gap of around 30 seconds. And then on Sector 7, Kopecki, perhaps sensing that the race was getting out of control, put in a huge turn. Then, assisted by her teammate Vandenbroek Black, they cut the gap down to 10 seconds, but it was not quite enough. And then it went back out to 30 seconds again and well it was a will she won't she for Longo Borghini there was some regrouping behind handy looking chase group but not enough numbers from um, any one particular team to really take any bites out of Longo Borghini's uh, lead coming around the right hander on the Camfan on Pevel section well it nearly caught her out but she kept upright and then it was just a race all the way to the velodrome and in the chase group behind the sprint Kopecki got second and then Brand took 
the third place on the podium. A, as you say, Lizzie, a really different race. Wasn't sure what to expect. And obviously the blueprint from Lizzie Dignan last year, the, the long solo attack from the first section of cobbles, um, probably wouldn't have been on because of the weather, I guess. It changed everything about the race today. It did. And I was talking to you yesterday. You were saying, who, did, who was I going to go for? And unfortunately, I went for Mariana Voss. <laughs> <laughs> and Emma Norsgaard. The curse. Um, but neither of the which... The curse of Lizzie Banks. Yeah. <laughs> but I was saying at that point that I felt that it was much more likely to be um, a small group race than a solo breakaway because of the wind. So today the wind was mostly cross and cross headwind. And last year it was a really strong tailwind for the majority of the race. So when you've got that tailwind, have, being away on your own is such an advantage. Whereas a day like today being behind had such an advantage. And yes, Elisa Longo-Borghini did spend 33 kilometres out. Um, but th by that point, the peloton, well, you can't really even call it a peloton, the, the front group had splintered so much and repeatedly splintered on every single cobbled section and then came back together and splintered again. That, I mean, you only ever had one or two riders from a single team in it at a time. And when you did have two riders, it just so happened that that team was Trek Zegafredo. And so, of course, they were just messing up the chase, um, which then played even further into Trek's hands. But they had they had by far the strongest team out there today. And I actually wasn't sure how Trek would go coming into this because, unfortunately, sickness has been a huge theme this spring in both the men's and women's peloton. And particularly Trek, unfortunately, have had a lot of sickness recently, Elisa Longaborghini has said herself she's not quite been herself this spring. She's She's been good and there or thereabouts, but just lacked that sharpness, not been able to finish it off. And she missed Amstel Gold last weekend, Amber Bansapile this week. And she went home and she said that she needed time to recover. She took some antibiotics and clearly that rest really did her the world of good. She said in her post-race interview that she didn't even feel confident and ready to come here. And the team said you're ready, come, please come. And <laughs> they were clearly right. They obviously know their riders. She came and she did it. Yeah, she said in the press conference, actually, she referred to how the spring had really been far from ideal. And um, I didn't actually see this, but she was asked about the gesture as she approached the line and crossed the line. She tapped her helmet a few times and she said that it's because she's a very stubborn person. She said, my spring has not been ideal, but this was a win for my head. In Italian, we say I'm a woodhead because my head is tough and it's my toughness that got me here today. And then she did the obligatory and, of course, the amazing work of my team and my teammates. And then she referred to her uh, boyfriend, uh, Jacopo Mosca, who also rides for Trek Segafredo, who finished the Tour of Sicily, the Giro di Sicilia, and then flew up here to uh, northern France, spent 10 minutes with her to say good luck, and then flew off home again. I mean, that's dedication and support, isn't it? I mean, her teammates really were phenomenal today. You know, a rider barely crosses the line without saying thank you to my teammates, but, but their work cannot be underestimated. We saw Ellen van Dijk on the front going into the first cobble sector, sector 17, and she was absolutely shredding the peloton behind. There were crashes behind. And it was exactly the tactic they did last year. And that worked because as they went into that first sector where you and Richard were there to see that, that winning move of Lizzie Dignan, what happened was there was a crash just behind going in. And so the peloton wasn't able to work cohesively to, to bring her back. 
And in addition to that, when you're on the cobbles, if you're in the dust on the side, you're in these two lines and you can only really go the pace of the rider in front of you. And so if that rider slows down, the whole group slows down. But we saw Ellen van Dijk doing that work. She was she was out of the peloton for 16 kilometres when she punctured. She was riding for about two kilometres on the cobbles with a front wheel puncture. I mean, how she even kept it upright, I don't know. But then it took her 16 kilometres to get back to the bunch. Uh, Chloe Hosking was doing a phenomenal job after the first few sectors on the front before she unfortunately flipped into a field. And I really hope she's okay. Um, Audrey cordon Rago again, was doing amazing work on the front, constantly leading them in. Elisa Balsamo, of course, she she was there as another card to play in the final before she got disqualified, which I'm sure we'll discuss in a moment. Um, and Lucinda Brand and again, Ellen Van Dyke, there, always there, always present in those final groups to mess up that chase. Lucinda Brand was in that group of three that was away from 54 to 34 kilometres to go. And so Lucinda being in that group for 20 kilometers enabled Trek to have something to counter off when it came back. And had Lucinda not have been in that group, then Elisa wouldn't have potentially had that moment to be able to counter and then been able to get away. You are listening to Arrive by The Cycling Podcast, supported by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens, the title sponsors of the Cycling Podcast. Uh, sorry about that dog there barking across the velodrome. Not quite sure where it is. Super Sapiens is a system of continuous glucose monitoring and it can help you fuel optimally for your own body type, basically by giving you a continuous reading of your glucose levels so you can see how your body reacts to certain types of foods, and, and how much you eat and when you eat them. And by gathering that data and learning how your body responds, you can fuel optimally for your training and racing or sportive riding. If you'd like to find out more, go to supersapiens.com. Well, Lizzie, you mentioned Trek Segafredo. I mean, they really did have everything covered, but it wasn't a flawless day for them because the world champion, Elisa Balsamo, was disqualified. She'd had that puncture and was making her way back up and coming past riders, but then that footage emerged of her holding onto the car for just too long. I mean, file that into the category of bang to rights, really. No real complaints. Um, but it's not just the rider's responsibility, that, is it? There's a sports director in the car as well, so joint responsibility for that. I would have thought. Yeah, it's the responsibility of the sports director and the rider in part. And it was interesting because there's footage of her holding on to the bottle, which was actually slowed down into slow-mo. So you don't know how long it was happening for, but you also don't know how long she was behind the car before that. And the one thing here is that she's the world champion and there were other riders that they were passing on the right-hand side of the road. And you cannot do that and go around other riders when there are riders there you maybe get a little bit of a toe or a little bit of help onto the back of those riders then it's your responsibility to get back into the race i'm sure the commissaires looked at the correct footage they didn't they didn't not even the uci would look at <laughs> slow-mo footage and uh, take the decision based on that but no bang to right are you I sure think. 
Well, I mean, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, you mentioned also Longo Borghini and, you know, being out in front and being able to pick her own line. She mentioned in the press conference that last year she had a really difficult day. She crashed four or five times and picked herself up each time and got herself onto the podium. And she did say that the reason she wanted to get out in front on her own and wasn't bothered about whether anyone came with her was because uh, she wanted to be able to choose her own line on the cobbled sections. And, well, her final attack did come moments after we saw Balsamo's disqualification confirmed on the TV screens and so she was asked whether that was a factor in the timing of that attack and she actually said in the press conference that she attacked on instinct it's where she wanted to go she thought she could um, bring it home from there she was also asked when was the moment you knew you had it and she said I thought from the beginning I'd won if you don't believe in your attack you don't win which is, uh, you know, uh, uh, well, um, she called herself Woodhead. And then she had a really nice line about arriving in the velodrome. She said, you're going through hell and then you arrive in paradise. I thought that was quite uh, poetic, as you would expect from the Italians. Well, Lizzie, it was Trek Segafredo's day. What about the other teams? I mean, SD Works had cards to play. DSM had cards to play. Uh, what did you make of the opposition that they had to, well, they had to put away, really? It's interesting because looking back now, we can really see that that moment when Elisa attacked is the moment that the race was over for the other teams. Um, SD Works were very strong, but sometimes I think they suffer due to their strength. And they had a rider on the wheel when Elisa attacked. So what actually happened when she was coming out of Sector 8A, she did this left-hand turn onto a smooth section of tarmac, which is about 100 metres, maybe not even between you go between where you go into a right-hand turn into Sector 8B. And she was on the front, accelerated. Elena Cicchini of SD Works and Emma Norsgaard were on her wheel. And the three of them went into Sector 8B. Now, as Elisa was absolutely flying along that section. Elena Cicchini opened up a slight gap to Elisa Bolongo-Borghini. Now, that is the moment that Emma Norsgaard actually lost the race because for SD Works, Elena Cicchini is a great rider, but she's not the rider that they would bet on in this race. They would want Chantal Vandenbroek-Black or Lotte Kopecky up there, especially if it was going to come down to a three-way sprint. So Cicchini was perhaps already doubting that she was the right rider for this and maybe just didn't have the strength to hold Longo Borghini's wheel. Now, as they come out of Sector 8B, there's a two-second gap between Elisa Longo-Borghini and Cicchini and Norsgaard. At this moment, Norsgaard didn't work. And if she had been able to and had jumped to that gap to Elisa Longo-Borghini, I think it would have been a completely different race because that slight moment of hesitation meant that that gap opened from two to five to 10 seconds and then she wasn't able to close it. And then Cicchini was pulled back because SD Works clearly thought, hold on, this is not good for us. We're not going to win from this situation. Um, and that was really the beginning of the end of Emma Norsgaard's race. Well, Lizzie, using your contacts in the peloton, you've managed to secure a dispatch from Emma Norsgaard of Movistar. This is what she said about her day in Paris-Roubaix. Hey, thanks, friend. Yeah, what a race it was. I mean, wow, crazy like uh, like we expected and and hard like we expected. I mean, it's. I think I prefer the, the rainy uh, edition of Paris-Roubaix, to be honest. This one was a bit too crazy for, for me. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, 
right now I I think also I have a hard time saying anything positive because I'm so disappointed and today was just not my day and I didn't have the luck on my side either so but uh, there's a Paris-Roubaix next year also and uh, and I have not uh, forgotten the dream about going home with the with the storm so uh, I'm I'm looking forward for next year already as far as SD works were concerned it was the right reaction but by the wrong rider and had it been Lotta Kopecky or Chantel Vandenbroek Black on the wheel at that moment it could have been a very very different race but it was Elena Cecchini who they wouldn't have bet on in that situation of course Lotta Kopecky had been in the earlier move and that had shaped a lot of the day because she was in that move with Lucinda Brand and Marta Bastianelli and as she said in the press conference afterwards Kopecky that is she wasn't committed fully to that move because Lucinda Brand of Trek was not giving 100% either because Lucinda Brand's basically there policing the move for teammates so Kopecky was again in what looked like a good move but just the wrong combination of riders sort of around 50-ish kilometres to go of course that's going to um take a toll on the legs isn't it because then later on in the race when reactions have to be made um, there's just that little bit less in the tank perhaps definitely and Kopecky had always been there she's she's a master at positioning and that is so important and we saw um, other riders Elise Shabby who we'll hear from later also a master at positioning and and that effortless ease of positioning at the front of the bunch saves you so much but that also means that she was right at the front of the bunch and she was absolutely drilling it on a lot of the sectors and that also meant she was in the wind and we saw as Kopecky came into sector seven on the front and at this point, the gap to Elisa Longo-Borghini was 30 seconds. So if they wanted to do something to win the race, they had to do it then. She absolutely drilled it. And over the space of about a kilometre, she brought that gap down to 15, 13 seconds. But in doing so, she sort of blew herself up a little bit. And then a group formed off the front after that sector. But it was Vandenberg Black, Brand, Georgie, Mackay, Cavalli, Bastianelli, Brown, but no Capecchi. And so then... Chantal Vandenberg Black tried to attack from the front of that group to see if she could get over solo to Elisa Longo Borghini, but she couldn't. So eventually that group came back together again. And it wasn't until Carrefour de Labra when that final crop of seven riders really rose to the top. And those were the ones that, that went into chase for the, the podium places into the velodrome. I mean, easy to criticise because it didn't work out for them. But, I mean, they were also in a position where they weren't going to get an awful lot of assistance, were they? I mean, she came very close, you know, to making it touching distance. And perhaps it would have only needed somebody else from another team or perhaps even Vandenbroek Black to just, you know, give a bit more of a hand at the end when the gap was perhaps within touching distance. But it wasn't to be. And, well, as we know from Paris-Roubaix, if you don't close the gap the chances are it will open up again, especially when the rider in front is solo and absolutely committed. And there's this really strange kind of elastic band effect, isn't there, on the cobbles? Because on the really tough cobbles, um, it can appear that the sting's going out of the leading rider and that the balance is swinging back in favour of the chasers. And then on the road sections, the smooth sections, it, there's almost this sort of this lull um, where it feels like the pendulum is swinging back the other way and the, the chase group are kind of thinking, well, we haven't managed to take 
all of the um, gap back and now we're just sort of in no man's land again. And it was like that, wasn't it? It was swinging one way or the other and it was always in doubt until I think probably uh, the run in here to the velodrome when it was clear that Longo Bulgini was not going to falter. SD Works, in some respects, didn't do anything wrong. In some respects, perhaps they were a little bit too eager, but the thing that Trek Segafredo always had was the numbers. And now that could have been bad luck on the part of SD Works. Majerus is on great form, but she wasn't there. I think she was caught in a crash. I saw that Roxanne Fournier was there very close to the end, um, but I think it was on, on Sector 7 that she was stuck behind a crash. And then so they didn't have that numbers. But then do you make your own luck? If Roxanne Fournier was in the back, she was more likely to get caught in the crash. Ellen Van Dyke, um, Elisa Longo-Borghini made sure that they were never, ever in the back, so weren't able to have that bad luck. Just before we move on, just a word for Ellen Van Dyke, because she finished seventh, and Lizzie, before we started recording, you said she was woman of the race, and I can't really um, disagree with that. Afterwards, she said the team had played every step of the race, every phase of the race, as well as they possibly could, given you know all of the variables. I mean, you can't choose when you're going to puncture, you can't choose to avoid crashes, um, but they really, well, they, they marked everything they need to mark, and they always had people up at the front um, to just sow that seed of doubt, I think, into the minds of the other teams and particularly the, the riders who are on their own without support. That must be really intimidating because you know that any effort that's made, the other team has a, an advantage and can take advantage of the work that you do for them. Ellen Van Dyke was imperious today. She was on phenomenal form. Uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before that she just announced that she's going to go for the hour record on the track in May. And... Actually, she, she didn't have a good race here last year. She had a really hard crash. She sustained an awful concussion. Um, so it could have been a very difficult race for her to come into mentally, looking back on what happened last year. But I'm so glad that she had a great race because she's the best teammate anybody could ever ask for. The way she rode today, the way she fought to come back from that puncture, 16 kilometres of chasing um, and really Trek owe, owe their victory in huge part to all of their teammates, but in, in a very large part to Alan Van Dyke. The Cycling Podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport, long-term supporters of the Cycling Podcast, and all of our listeners can get 25% off Science in Sport products at scienceinsport.com. The Paris-Roubaix Sportive has been going on today and riders were arriving at the velodrome when I got up here at around about lunchtime. The riders have to make it here before three o'clock if they want to do a lap of the velodrome. Um, otherwise, it's closed, ready for the women's race to arrive. And then I guess they reopen it because riders have been arriving here. Uh, it's quarter past six in the evening now, so perhaps they got their fueling strategy wrong. I don't know. Perhaps a few more science and sport gels on the way would have helped them. Um, let's hear from Elise Shabby because, well, I've been talking about the Cycling Podcast family um, helping us out and we're going to rely on that help over the coming weeks and months, of course. But I didn't think it would extend to getting riders from the peloton to interview one another. But Lizzie Banks' contacts have helped <laughs> us out here. This is Alice Barnes of Canyon SRAM talking to her teammate Elise Shabby. So Elise Shabby, tomorrow is Paris-Roubaix. How are you feeling for it? Yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, last year was quite epic and uh, hopefully tomorrow will also be epic, but maybe in a different way. 
yeah, the sun will be here and the crowd will be here also. And yeah, I'm really excited to go on the cobbles hard and see what's happening. And what is different about Paris-Roubaix to any other race? Like for me personally, it's just different because like I'm not used to this kind of hard races on the cobbles. I mean, yeah, for sure we have races on the cobbles, but not like this one that are here. And uh, yeah, it's like it's only the second year we have it, so I think we don't, we still don't know really what to expect from it. And uh, I think everybody's really excited about it. And uh, yeah, how is the weather going to play a part in the race? The weather seems to be good. So uh, compared to last year, I think it will be less technical. Uh, I'm actually a bit sad about it because I actually really like when it's super technical. But I think we can expect a lot of wind and uh, for sure with the team we need to be together in the front and uh, be ready for like uh, some action. And what is the team goal and your goal yourself? For sure that for the team it's uh, we want to, to be there and uh, have, I mean, win or at least have a podium. Uh, now we have a little music of the coffee grounder behind because we're actually now in a coffee <laughs> getting ready for the race uh we didn't have the meeting yet with the the whole team but um i guess we have a strong roster here and uh, everybody's ready for it and i think everybody can have a chance on this kind of course and uh yeah we'll see well that was before the race of course and shabby had a very good day she finished fourth just missing out on the podium and she sent this dispatch from the team bus I think it was I'm happy and a bit disappointed at the same time because force is like yeah I mean you always want for, for a podium so yeah but uh, I mean at the end I can still be happy because yeah it was actually my second time on the track only and uh, I was quite afraid to to go up there <laughs> so I did it and uh, yeah the team was amazing today like Tiffany was like great she was bringing me on every cobble section and Alice was also there and they really trusted me and believed in me so yeah I'm really happy with them and I really wanted to push hard for them like and for the team so yeah I think I tried and uh, I want to come back next year and you know go on the podium or like go for the win it's quite a it's quite a nice feeling and also with the crowd everywhere and like in the velodrome I mean the noise and the people screaming it's this is why we love cycling and uh yeah i also had a crash actually quite at the beginning of the race and uh, mentally to to go back after this was quite hard but once again the team really pushed me and believed in me so i think it's helping and uh yeah now i'm quite tired i have some blisters on my hands nice memory but uh, i'm pretty sure i will be fine for flesh and liege and yeah, I think we have a strong team and uh, I'm pretty sure it, it will come sooner than later, this win that we wait for. So, yeah, let's keep the momentum and, yeah, ciao, ciao. Just looking through the top 10, Lizzie, Marta Cavalli's had a very good week. She won Amstel Gold last weekend. Uh, the FDJ rider was fifth. DSM had two riders in the top 10. Flirty Mackay was sixth and Britain's Pfeiffer Georgie was ninth. Van Dyke, you mentioned, was seventh. Vandenbroek Black was eighth. Uh, anyone else rounding out the top 10 there? A name that's not terribly familiar to me. 
Yeah, Sandra Alonso for Ceratis at WNT Pro Cycling was there in 10th place. And so she's a super talent that's coming through clearly to be able to get to the end of Paris-Roubaix in 10th place in the second group on the road. Um, and definitely one to watch. And as the women's peloton becomes more specialist, perhaps she will be a Paris-Roubaix specialist rider. Indeed. Anything else before we wrap up? Well, it's a race only in its second edition, of course, but I thought it would be interesting to hear from a rider who wasn't racing last year. So my young teammate, Abby Smith, only 19 years old, I asked her to do an audio diary both before and after the race, and here is what she had to say. Hello. It is Friday, the day before Paris-Roubaix Femme, so I am very excited, but very nervous at the same time. I tend to get like this before every race, but particularly so before uh, possibly the most iconic and biggest race of my life. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's my first year as a pro and kind of first first time doing all the big classics and first time with cobbles, first time for everything. So this is this is pretty mad actually being sat here thinking wow i'm going to do i'm going to do paris roubaix tomorrow that's pretty cool we did the recon on wednesday and the cobbles are pretty brutal it's going to be a really brutal race uh i nobody really knows what's going to happen i don't think that you can't really can't really go into it with a plan because some of it might just be luck some of it is definitely strength and positioning and anything can happen as we saw last year so uh yeah just uh chilling getting ready now kind of relaxing as much as I can and saving energy and eating lots and lots and lots of food particularly um lots lots of rice and pasta (laughs) but uh yeah fueling well so we can go into it with as with as good a chance as possible really Obviously, only the second edition of Paris-Roubaix Femme, so I think it's it's going to be amazing. The, the sides are going to be absolutely full of spectators, I reckon, because it's going to be such nice weather as well. So it could be dusty, actually. Um, it should make it interesting. I'd rather that than wet, though, put it that way. And, yes, unfortunately, if there are lots of spectators, it means I can't ride down the side of the cobbles in the grass or in the in the nice smooth gravelly parts have to actually ride on the cobbles (laughs) so uh yeah it's gonna be really hard but really up for it so i have just finished paris-roubaix you can hear i've got a bit of a yeah bit of a cough from uh, all the dust probably but um yeah an eventful day as brutal and as hard as everybody has said um just come out of the very iconic showers i i picked tom boone and stole um which i thought was i thought about writing my name over it but i didn't don't worry uh but yeah it was a crazy day uh, i crashed early on i've got a bit of a rotor cut in my knee so may or may not need stitches i'll have to see um did a lot of chasing, lots of crashing. Oh, it was it was so chaotic. It was it was absolutely mad, and exactly like everyone says in terms of how mad it was. But yeah, it was an awful lot about positioning because um, there was a crash just before the first cobbled sector, um, which most of the team got caught behind. <clears throat> so that made it a pretty a pretty difficult day in terms of always chasing 
And my group, I got the group I got into was we could see the peloton, and it was it was always within touching distance, but we could never quite get back. So uh, yeah, really hard day. But um, yeah, coming into the coming into the velodrome, it was it was amazing. There were so many people, and it felt everything just feels very very Paris Roubaix, very iconic. So. Uh, yeah, I'm really glad to have finished. I think I rolled in 54. Well, not rolled in. I, I tried to sprint as much as I could. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, really, really pleased to have finished. And I've, I've got a lot of a lot of blisters, a lot of burn marks from tyres, and yeah, few few cuts and bruises here and there. But um, what a day! Really glad to say that I've done it. I've, I've finished Paris-Roubaix, so, uh, yeah, one ticked off. I'll see if I want to come back next year. Not sure yet. <laughs> well, Lizzie, I've been waiting for the opportunity to spring Corrections Corner on you. Abby Smith is actually 20. Uh, quite quite enjoyed that. Uh, she finished 54th in a group around about nine minutes back, so roughly halfway through the field because there was 98 finishes today. So a, a, a really, uh, well, strong ride on... Uh, their debut there for Abby Smith. Not quite the youngest rider in the race, three 18-year-olds taking part today. And I met the parents of Flora Perkins this morning at the start. Uh, Flora Perkins, a British rider, making her World Tour debut today for Le Col Wahoo. 18 years, 212 days, according to Pro Cycling Stats. That's her age. Third youngest rider in the race. And she's been uh, in Belgium over the Easter holidays, racing, training and revising because she's still at school and has exams coming up later on in the summer. But, uh, well, I mean, if you can, if you can ride Paris-Roubaix, why not? Well, as I look down into the velodrome behind me, the support staff and the technical teams for the race are changing the advertising boards around the track and just uh, tinkering with the finish line ready for men's Paris-Roubaix tomorrow, which... Daniel Freeb and I will talk about in an episode of Arrive as soon as we can manage after the race tomorrow. Um, Lizzie, thank you very much for joining me for Arrive today and uh, adding your insight um, to our coverage of the race. As I said, it's been quite a day of mixed emotions for me because as I sit here in this grandstand, it takes me back also to the 2018 Tour de France when the stage finished nearby and the press room was over in the stab velodrome which is the indoor covered velodrome just across the road and Richard Francois and I uh, recorded our episode that evening as France were playing in the Football World Cup. Francois was very displeased to be missing the final but he you know he knew the cycling podcast came first uh, because that was what Richard kind of instilled really get the job done and then go for dinner and so that is what I think I'm going to do Lizzie and I think as I reflect and uh, I'll walk back over to the press room. I'm going to have over the next few weeks, months and years, just moments all around France, all around Europe, where memories of covering these races with Richard will, um, well, they'll be incredibly strong. And hopefully in time, the pain will subside a little bit. And, um, well, I'm already smiling at some of the memories. So that's, that's a good thing. But Lizzie, I really appreciate you joining me. Uh, today we will be back tomorrow Daniel and I to talk about men's Paris-Roubaix I, I expect you won't bother watching that will you <laughs> well you know as we have a, a strong Yorkshireman in uh, Magnus Sheffield riding I will be you know supporting him all the way to the oh, finish 
<laughs> I thought you were going to say Connor Swift. He's riding as well. <laughs> Two strong Yorkshiremen. But, I mean, if a, if a man called Sheffield wins Paris Bay tomorrow, you, you will never hear the end of it. <laughs> I you, know, of course, I mean... You, of course, live in Sheffield. I, of course, do live in Sheffield. So I will be, um, yeah, I will be cheering on the Sheffield-born and Sheffield-bred, Sheffield-by-name, Sheffield-by-nature rider tomorrow. And, of course, winner of Brabantse Pile last Wednesday, so in fine form. Thank you for having me, Lionel. It's been a pleasure. It has been a pleasure. I should just clarify, Magnus Sheffield is uh, Norwegian-American, not from Sheffield, but, um, you know, another corrections corner for you, Lizzie. But thank you very much. (laughs) We'll speak again. Thank you, Lionel. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freib and Lionel Burney. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.